spot break. Becker! Is that an Olympico? Kyle Becker gets it done from the corner again! Porter sends the hat trick is on a touch. Wubens! Hat trick again in the Canadian Premier League. Felt like destiny. Hello and welcome to another edition of the CanPL.ca Newsroom Podcast. Mitchell Tierney here alongside Charlie O'Connor Clark to recap the week that was in the CPL ahead on the show. We'll talk about the golden boot race heating up, hat tricks, transfer news, stunning results, a lot more. But first, let's quickly go through just what happened since our last show because it was a lot. Um, yeah. Cavalry FC, they they scored three goals in eight minutes to beat uh, 10-man Halifax last Thursday. Ali Musi, he had a brace. Sergio Camargo scored in that match as well. On Friday, Pacific continued their scoring and winning ways with a 4-2 win over York United at York Lions Stadium. York actually had two leads in that match, courtesy of Ronan Kratt and Ozaze de Rosario, but Alejandro Diaz hat trick. And Gianni Dos Santos gave the visitors a big win. Um, then a weekend off in the CPL, but uh, busy, busy start to this week uh, as last night, two matches. Forge, they scored five for the first time in club history and a 5-1 win over FC Edmonton. Wuvens Passius, he had a hat trick as well. Olububakar Suzoko and Kyle Becker scored. Cairo Core added a goal for Edmonton. And then the shocker, Ozazi de Rosario scoring again. York scoring again. <laughs> One nil win over Calvary, their first win since May 6th against Forge FC. Um, Charlie, you know, I think we we both consider ourselves experts to some degree on the Canadian Premier League, but this league is impossible to predict sometimes, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. We're four years in and just I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but it was an awesome, awesome uh Another week of games, you know, two hat tricks. We just had so many goals. I think, what is that? It's four games and I think 16 goals. So about four per game, exactly four per game. Um, just what a what a weekend. We had a lot of pretty crazy results, I think. Uh, the table doesn't make any more sense than it did the week <laughs> before. There's still, you know, so much to fight for for every team. And it's just awesome to see goals flying in left, right and center, unless probably if you're, you know, one of the teams that was conceding all of them. <laughs> Yeah, no, certainly. I was at uh, Tim Horton's field last night. FC Edmonton did not look particularly thrilled, especially at halftime, no. to um, have the, the game go the way that it did. Um, but someone who certainly was thrilled this past league, week was William Accio, who finally, um, you know, it was confirmed that he is moving to Ross County, joining his brother, Victor Loturi of Cavalry, or formerly of Cavalry, I suppose, at this point, um, as well as <laughs> Canadians. Uh, our Canadian Ben Patton, his brother Harry, also used to play for that team as well. So a lot of Canadian connections over at Ross County. Um, make sure to go watch Christian Jack's excellent chat on Beyond the Pitch with Akio about the move, playing internationally in South Sudan and plenty more. But Charlie, your thoughts on this move, what it means for Valor, and also what it means for Akio in the league. 
Oh, it's awesome. It's It's been such a great summer, I think, for CPL players getting these moves. You know, we, we mentioned Latori, Dieting Abzi had that move out to France. Uh, but for Willy Accio in particular, it's a really cool story. I think, you know, if you, again, if you haven't seen KJ's interview with him, just go see that where he tells the story about how he first got signed by Valor after his, his you know, his, his college career, he comes to, to Winnipeg. He basically like goes on a tour of the stadium and, and Rob Gale eventually gives him a chance at the club. Um, it's just an awesome story. And and it's really exciting to see clubs like Ross County, uh, you know, just looking so heavily at the Canadian league. Obviously they've been, uh, they've been scouting Victor Latore for a while, but then you know they start taking a look at his brother, William, and, and they want him as well. And it looks like these players are there to play as well. Latore already has seen action for the first team in friendlies. He was on the bench for a, a, a league cup game. Uh, I think either yesterday or the day before as we're recording. Uh, so it's it's just so exciting to see these players continue to to get these moves to clubs at very good levels. And then from there, you know, the sky's the limit because it really, it can be a stepping stone to even higher levels. Absolutely. Um, a lot of comments coming in, obviously, on the, the Accio transfer. Um, but one interesting one coming from Atletico Ottawa head coach Carlos Gonzalez, who had this to say about Accio being on the move. The CPL is giving great opportunities to to everyone. I think uh, uh, it's not the first first case of of a player from the CPL that goes to Europe, and uh, this is this talks really good about the level that we have here. Uh, a lot of the teams now in other parts of the world are are focusing in the CPL because they know that there is young talent here, and there are players uh, that can develop in the future and that can be really good for for the soccer and the football of the country so so i'm very happy uh, to to hear uh, this type of notices because this makes that uh, everything have sense you know uh, the, the cpo was created also to give like um, this uh, information to 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 other places of the world of the of the football in canada and and i think that the work that that the people is doing here is great yeah, and I think that certainly goes for coaches as well. Um, I oh, yeah. think that uh, certainly Carlos Gonzalez is someone who I would imagine if he can continue what he's done with Atletico Ottawa in, in recent weeks, um, there's there's going to be some some people over in Europe who might be interested in in him as well. I think so, eventually. And that is, again, part of the the whole idea of the CDL because not only are there you know about, about 200 or so new professional playing jobs in this country with this league there's you know eight new head coaching jobs that didn't exist before and and however many other assistant coaching jobs and we've seen younger younger maybe coaches without as much professional experiences get those chances in this league uh carlos comes in kind of maybe takes a risk he's a very ambitious ambitious coach but to come and, and join that project in ottawa and to hit the ground running so well uh it says a lot about him and about you know the the faith the organization's shown is shown in him so Again, this this league is such a great place for for anybody to really kind of showcase their talent. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of showcasing talent, for Jeff C last night at okay. Tim Hortons Field, this was one of the more dominant performances we've seen this season. Certainly from both Forge um, as well as you know any club within the Canadian Premier League um, going up against FC Edmonton. 
This was an unfortunate game of breaks for FC Edmonton because talking to Alan Koch after the match, they knew that this was going to be a hot one. And trust me, it absolutely was. Um, you know, even up in uh, the, the air-conditioned uh, press box, I was hot. So I can only imagine what it was like down on field level. But, you know, they're, they're out there hoping that they can get just to that first hydration break, knowing that those hydration breaks exist. They're hoping that they can get there a minute before Wubens Passius scores his first goal of the match. And then from there, you know, he scores a penalty. And then at that point, you're looking just to get to halftime, maybe reorganize. Well, because of that hydration break, there's two more minutes added. And what do Forge do? They only go and score twice during those. Uh, actually, it's four minutes added, but they only go and score twice during those four minutes, including if you're watching um, the show right now, an Olympico from Kyle Becker that was absolutely brilliant um yeah i mean just a just a strong strong performance from forge that you know really uh, again showed what they're capable of yeah yeah it absolutely did and it is a tough one for edmonton i mean side note yeah, it, alan's absolutely right it's very hot here in ontario mm -hmm. at the moment i mean i think i'm also kind of trying to get to hydration breaks during this show i like <laughs> when we play clips and stuff because i can i can go <laughs> go cool off a little bit but uh yeah this is this is forged at their best they've had games this season where they just seem to turn it on and it happens often early in his games you you see you know a, a a move work out well or, or they score early and you're like okay this is that forge today that's what we're getting today they did it in halifax they've done it against they did it against pacific at home they did it twice now against edmonton at home they have these games where you know it, it starts to fall for them and they just look like that ruthless aggressive dangerous team that we all know that they can be and they have been largely for three and a half years now um and i think the most important thing from this game is just that confidence was back. They've got that, that kind of that swagger in the attack where they're they're always going to get to that final third, and they do that against any team in the league. Pretty much, you'd say every game they've played this year, they get to the final third quite easily. Uh, and sometimes it's just not; it doesn't happen for them once they get to the box or, or whatnot. Uh, but this game, Wubens Pasias, really, really kind of reversing what has been largely one of the biggest problems for Forge this year. He's not hesitating with the ball with those mm -hmm. finishes, right? I think Bobby Smyrnio just mentioned it after the game, but, you know, he can take a ball on a turn and just fire it. He's not waiting for that extra touch. He's not trying to set it up for himself perfectly. He's got that striker's instinct to just turn and shoot. And that's kind of the thing that Forge have needed so desperately this year is to just just take those goals when they, when they present themselves and trust yourself that you have the ability to finish them. Yeah, and this was another match where they played against a... a side who was coming in to to play defensively at Tim Hortons Field. And obviously that didn't go so well the last two times they played there as both yeah. Ottawa and Valor. Like you mentioned, Forge probably the better team in both those matches had some really, really good chances to win both those matches, which made it even more frustrating. But they, they've showed a number of different looks in recent weeks in terms of breaking down these sides. And mm -hmm. um, one of them has been their combinations down the right where they're really having some success now that Reza Rama is is showing that impetus to go forward and and that great passing ability and and just all around good ball playing ability down the right and obviously they have Schwanier there in this match they had Suzoko kind of shift over um, so that they could you know find some joy down that right hand side and even in the second half they brought on uh, Taron Campbell and he played kind of as a right winger and his same thing like he was able to to be dominant in that side and that was something Bobby was was very thrilled about was not only. Um, did they obviously score five goals and, and have a ton of chances in this match, but they had some different looks 
that again, when you're breaking down a side who's going to sit back and shift and play defensively, um, having all kinds of different things, even set pieces as an option as well. Yeah. Like that's all critical. You need a ton of different ways to score and they know they're going to come up against low blocks basically all year in this league. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the toughest things to do in football is to break down a team that is really inviting you to press or to put pressure on them. And they're, they're just trying to to hold their, their lines and, stay firm so it's really impressive for forge to maybe change things up a little bit usually they're a team that would say that they don't really care how the opposition plays they're going to play their way uh but you know in in most cases in football you do have to adapt a little bit to what the other team's giving you and you know knowing that in previous games they tried to break down a block and they've struggled but in this they they kind of come into this game expecting something similar edmonton often play with with that four or five across the back quite flat and it's very tough to get around so forge to kind of overload the wide areas, especially that right side, you know, Abu, Abu Sizoko coming out of midfield and playing more on the right in this game as, you know, maybe sort of a, a wing back, I don't know, kind of, <laughs> kind of roll out there um, to have that maybe extra body on the wide area rather than in the middle, maybe help forge get around and get those crosses in and, and get those, those touches into the box a little bit faster and a little bit more easily to break down this, this block. And obviously when you score a few goals, then, it becomes increasingly easy to break down the block because the other team has to stretch themselves. They have to come out a little bit more after that. So yeah, I think this is pretty much exactly how Forge wanted this game to go down minus the one goal they conceded. But for the most part, I think they'll be very, very happy with getting back to some of their, their fundamentals. Well, let's take a quick hydration break here and hear from Bobby Smyrniotis, um, his thoughts on the match. You know, in the first uh, 10 or so minutes, uh... Just uh, missing a little bit of uh, quick connectivity. That's some things that we do very well. I thought we were a little bit slow with the ball. You know, one thing we asked um, to start was just let the ball move very quickly in whatever we do. You know, obviously the conditions were a little bit difficult to start the game. Um, it cooled off as, as time went on. Um, but I thought after that first 10 to 15 minutes, uh, the guys were very good, brilliant. We started spinning some balls in behind and finding the spaces that we knew were there um, against them just in the way we, we studied them. Uh, and once we started doing that, then uh, the field started tilting down towards their goal. And the guys uh, took care of business in the first 45 minutes of the game. They certainly did take care of business. And, um, you know, the, the man who took care of business more than anyone else, <laughs> Wubens Passius, um, now second in the Golden Boot race, actually second all time in terms of Forge FC players, goals scored in all competitions, which is kind of crazy considering how short he's yeah. been with that club. Uh, he's now tied with David Chouanier, but... Um, you know, like you said, Pasillas is a player who's starting to really take his opportunities. That wasn't the case earlier in the season. I think last no. time we watched them play against Edmonton, it was the 3-0 at home. Uh, that was a match where Pasillas came on late and missed a number of chances. And, it, you know, that seemed to be the story of his early part of the season. But now he's really starting to bury them. And you can see that confidence really building up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what he needs. You know, he went through a stretch last season where the same thing kind of happened he got one goal in the net and then it seemed like for the next month or so he was quite consistently banging them in for forge and he is again a player who uh needs service which he's getting with forge now he needs to as i said trust himself to just take that one touch finish to to you know take take it on the turn and just blast it because he doesn't need to hesitate he doesn't need to cut it onto his his right foot because his left foot's not bad as well he just needs to take these chances and that's exactly what he did here and speaking of getting service, Passius spoke about that after the match. I feel great. Uh, it's really nice. But again, it's 
it's because of my teammates. You know, I'm a, I'm a striker. I do my runs, but if the ball doesn't come, I can't score. If I don't receive good passes, I can't score. So, again, it's nice to have that record, you know, but again, it's it's because of my teammates. So I'm I'm really happy about that. Yeah, there was no question that that was a pretty shocking result last night at Tim Hortons Field. Alan Koch even calling it men against boys at times. But there was another potentially even more shocking game last night. Obviously, it didn't have five goals in it. It just had the <laughs> one. But York United, for the first time in more than two months, picking up a victory in probably the least expected place that you would you know, anticipate them getting a result this season against Cavalry FC on the road where Calvary's been perfect this year, where they've been excellent throughout their history in the Canadian Premier League. Um, Charlie, you were on this match. You know, your thoughts on, again, just a, a surprise result and at long last for York United. Yeah, this is a huge, huge, huge result for York. Ten games without a win in the league. They'd scored, they hadn't won on the road. They'd scored one goal away from home in the CPL so far this season. Things were pretty bleak for them at the, at the moment heading into this game, especially after the loss to Pacific on Friday, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, but this is just such a massive kind of morale boost for this team. It's so unbelievably difficult to go to Spruce Meadows and win. Note, Cavalry were 5-0 and to start the year at home. Uh, they hadn't, hadn't dropped anything there. So for York to go there and win, and not just win, but hold a clean sheet, against you know, one of the, the most high-powered attacks in the league is unbelievable. I think I looked it up yesterday. Cavalry have only failed to score at home, I think, four times in their history. And there's only one other team that's beaten them in a CPL match uh, and held a clean sheet in that game, and that's Forge. And they did it in Cavalry's first ever loss back in 2019 and then again in the uh, second leg of the 2019 final. So that just kind of puts in perspective how difficult it is for any team to do this at Calvary at Atco Field, but especially not a team that's in kind of dip, kind of tough form and hasn't been scoring and has conceded a lot of goals in recent weeks. So it's a massive game for 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 York, excuse me, to just finally break that streak. And sometimes all you need is is a, a difficult win, one where you kind of grind it out. Obviously, they did a lot of defending in this game. I think on paper, you look at pretty much all the major stats from this game, you'd say that Cavalry were the better team. And I think in many ways, York would probably agree. But there are games like this that are going to happen where you you just do a lot of defending. You trust your goalkeeper a little bit and you you scored early so you can you can sit back quite comfortably and it just eventually pull, comes off for you. And, you know, that's something that can start a good run for a team. Yeah, what a difference maker depth maze makes uh, for for a club in in mm-hmm. so many different aspects. I mean, obviously, you know, Krat coming in and, and getting a goal that doesn't ultimately earn them a result, but that's another um, offensive option. Um, you see Luis Lowry Latencio get uh, get the assist on on their goal in the in the match against Cavalry, and Tas Mordacudis filling in very nicely. Um, and the defensive role, um, I certainly want to hear a little bit more about him, Charlie, but also just the option, you know, you go down to 10 men and you can make a mm-hmm. shift in the midfield where you bring off Hernandez and bring on uh, Cedric Toussaint. That's something that you couldn't do just a couple of weeks ago, probably because Toussaint was suspended. But um, <laughs> but like little options like that where when the match isn't going your way, you can actually just make some shifts. That has This hasn't been something that Martin Nash has been able to do in recent weeks. So how big is that? Yeah, it makes such a massive difference. Just the fact that 
know, Martin Nash is actually able to adjust his team during games. You know, he's able to look back at his bench and see professional players that he has trained in in the last few weeks, rather than you know some recent games where it's mostly emergency signings or development call ups or players that he hadn't actually really met before the game uh, because they just had so many injuries and so many suspensions. And yeah. obviously the latter of those two is self-inflicted and something that mm-hmm. they continue to struggle with as Jordan Wilson is now returning from suspension and will be suspended again. Uh, so that's, that's not great for this team, but you know, it's just, just massive, massive, massive for York that they have these options to come on. The, the two cent sub was, I think the, the best indicator of this, that they're able to not just bring fresh legs off the bench, but bring on, players that offer them something different and allow them to adjust to the situation to obviously being maybe more of a, a holding defensive presence than Mateo Hernandez can be, who's a little bit more attack minded, a little more creative. And in a game where you're leading, you're down to 10 men. I think you probably sacrifice that creativity for a little bit more structure in, in the back. Uh, so that's massive for this team. But, you know, I think, I think the other thing that impressed me with York in this game is Mitchell, as you mentioned, these two Australians on that left mm-hmm. side, with Tats Mordekudas in that back three, and then Laurie Latanzio as kind of a, a left wing back in this game. I think that this is his first start, and I thought he was really, really good for York. He, you know, he did a lot of defensive work. I think he led the team in tackles attempted and duels won and all these sorts of things. And then, but his contribution to the goal as well is very clever to take a touch and cut it back for himself. And I don't really know where Elijah Adekubi was going on the marking in that, but he spots <laughs> the he spots the gap, feeds it right through to Asazi Di Rosario, and then it's. It's one of those, you know, one-touch finishes. As I mentioned, Forge were, were scoring, but that's something that York hadn't been scoring for a long mm-hmm. time. Is those goals in front of, in front of the six-yard box. Those maybe, I don't want to say easier ones, but the ones that you'd more expect to finish rather than, you know, massive, fifteen, eighteen-yard finishes that they've had to score in recent games. So a lot of positives for York from this game. It's it's they're far from fixed. You know, when you get you get dominated off the ball for such a long period of the game and you give up so many shots. It's you want to, you know, improve on that, but just to, to end that skid to get back into winning ways is just huge for this team. Yeah. Let's hear from York United coach Martin Nash. I mean, well, we put a tremendous fight up today uh, and we knew we had to come in here, uh, you know, five wins in the trot and uh, haven't lost 11. Probably have been the best team in the league and uh, to come here and get a, a win, a, a result, let alone a win, uh, is fantastic. So proud of the guys. Uh, they stuck together. They they uh, worked as a unit in the whole game and, um, you know, it was an amazing effort. Yeah, really an amazing effort, and and one of those players who who put up a great effort as well as Nico Giansopoulos in in net. Um, you know, he'd obviously been been injured in recent weeks, um, but how big is it to have him back and just uh, just I guess leading that back line, and and obviously especially when there's some new faces coming in. Oh yeah, it's it's massive to have a guy like him at the back who's a very vocal leader, especially when they're defending against so many set pieces, which Cavalry is unbelievably good at scoring from uh so for york to defend so many of them largely because of jensopolis uh you know directing traffic during those situations is huge he's playing in a stadium he knows very well having been at cavalry for a couple years uh he it probably feels pretty good for him to to get that win in that stadium uh obviously tommy wilden jr said after the match that he's been impressed with with how nico's uh, gone about things at York, but he always knew that he was a goalkeeper capable of this. And for him to to be that presence at the back, to claim crosses, to make those saves when he has to, is is just huge for this team at the moment. 
Yeah, let's hear from Nico Giansopoulos. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Last year I wanted to get my chance. It didn't come, so uh, when I was flying here uh, this time, uh, really wanted to put in a show and uh, glad it worked out. So it was a fun game and uh, just happy to get the three points and kind of end our rough patch there and hopefully we can kind of use that and continue success now uh, second half of the season. And why not? Let's continue the the Nico Giansopoulos love on the show, and let's hear that uh, Tommy Wilden Jr. quote after the match about uh, you know him always knowing that Nico was a, a great starter. Listen, we always thought we had two solid starting goalkeepers when he was here, and he's he's shown to be a very very good goalkeeper. Look, York have one of the fewest goals against for a reason, right? They they are very very defensive and try to take you on transition. They did, but it was our error that their goal came from. So look, we'll own it today. You know, we apologise to the fans for not keeping the unbeaten run going. We uh, at least want to give them goals to cheer for. We didn't do that tonight, but there's always a the next game. There is always the next game, and. Um, for for York United, they did have another match as well this week. So, um, Charlie, you were also on that one, and a yeah. match that turned out obviously quite differently. If there was goals, no goals <laughs> to celebrate in this match, there were certainly a ton of goals to celebrate in that one. Um, Charlie, take us through this four-two match between Pacific and York. This was a very, very profoundly weird game. <laughs> um, <clears throat> two teams in in quite different form. Uh, it looked for large stretches of this game that it was going to be the moment that York broke this skid. Uh, Ronan Kratt right off the bat here with this this goal. That's a great moment for him. Uh, I know his dad was in the stands and he was very happy as well. We could see him celebrating. Um, it, was, it was a game where York played, I think, some of their best football of the year uh, mm-hmm. for large parts, especially the first half. I think they are probably the better team, but you give up a penalty towards the end and that's Always a bit of a killer to go into halftime uh, equal. And then Isaiah Johnson with that phenomenal run through midfield to set up Di Rosario's goal. They go back ahead. And then for the next, I think, 10 minutes after that, York were dominant. They had so many chances. Di Rosario hit the crossbar again. Kratt hit the post. And if they just finished off one of those, I think this game goes extremely differently. But maybe the the beauty of what Pacific FC can do is that they can find these chances in transition and they can just be ruthless on from these opportunities. Alejandro Diaz has that incredible striker's instinct to find the the spot that the pass is going to come to and to finish these chances and put a team away, even when you know the game hasn't been going their way. They haven't had a lot of the ball. The buildup hasn't always been there. So I think that is part of the thing that separates these two attacking units. But honestly, at, at you know as a whole, if you took both of York's games that we're talking about mm-hmm. together, I'd say they probably played better against Pacific, even though that's the game they lost. And that's weird to say, but they had more of the ball. They had more sustained opportunities in the attacking half. They, you know, looked a little bit better. They had, they, this was the first time they'd attacked with a slightly different unit, a bit of a sort of three, four, three with Isaiah Johnston and more of an advanced kind of false nine, number 10 strange sort of role. That's kind of hard to, to quantify. Um, but it was, it was a lot of improvement for them. Obviously the, the toughest part of that is Max Ferrari going down again with yep. an injury. And it sounds like that might keep him out for a little while. And that hurts because York have been struggling so much to replace Didi and Abzi on the left side. It looked like they might've found a solution there, uh, but it might be back to the drawing board now. Um, but again, Pacific, this, uh, this four, four, two that they've played these last three games, they just keep scoring. And that's been, that's been very impressive to me as well. 
Yeah, before we move on to Pacific, I wanted to quickly mention something that you talked about in your your match analysis, which for York is is a big pressing thing right now, which is as they push forward and try to score all of these goals, how important it is to keep that defensive resiliency that has right. been kind of at their core all season. Um, how how big is that, obviously, in terms of what they're trying to do right now? That you know, again, you need the goals, but obviously preventing them is is just as important. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that's been kind of the fundamental of this team for especially the early part of the season is how well organized they were defensively, how tough they were to break down, how much they they really gave you nothing, especially in the box in the half spaces, you know, with their their holding midfield as well, just doing such a good job of pushing opposing teams to the outside. But, you know, when you go through a stretch for so long where you're not scoring and and it's costing you a lot in in the results department. You have to change things up and you have to find new ways to get on the ball in the attacking half. You have to find ways to score goals, really, mm-hmm. because that's how you win football matches. Uh, but sometimes if you go too far down that road, you sacrifice a little bit of what's been so good for you at the back. And that did seem to be what had been happening for York in these past couple of weeks. Um, this Pacific game, especially, you know, Martin Nash tries something completely new in attack. And he he admits post-match that they were a little bit stretched and that maybe caused him to cause him some troubles in transition. You know, that I think all of all, at least three or three of Pacific's goals. And then the play leading to the penalty came from that same side uh, where York were maybe a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit weaker defensively because they were trying to get so high up the pitch on that side. Uh, but then, obviously, in cavalry, uh, when you go down to ten men, you go back to fundamentals, and you you make it hard. You head balls out of the box. You're you're no nonsense with your clearances. And I think that once they find a way to kind of mesh these two things together, to to still be able to be dynamic in attack while not sacrificing that structure at the back, then uh, they'll be they'll, they'll be in good shape. Well, if York want to learn anything about scoring goals, all they needed to do is look across the pitch on Friday because Pacific have been doing it in bunches lately. Probably also could use a little more structure at the back as they've been uh, leaking a lot of goals in recent matches. But this was another one um, where, you know, they scored four. Um, they've had all kinds of chances as well. It's it's looked much better. You mentioned the the new four four two formation, how much that's been helping. Out. One player I wanted to to key in on, who I think's been very very good for them down the last little bit, has been Gianni Dos Santos, who against uh, Cavalry sets up a couple of the chances and scores himself. Has just been a, a player who, um, you know, earlier in the year was was uh, maybe a bench player or or didn't always get the starting role but recently has really really been a, a threat for pacific yeah he absolutely has and i think we might have mentioned this before but it's impressive to see him so patient waiting for his opportunity he was here at pacific all of last season and he did quite well in, in his opportunities but again he's not starting weekend week out and then this season starts and it's that that rigid front three that they've always played with but then the goals dry up a little bit and he gets his opportunity and he seizes it so well and he's just been so dynamic uh you know he's played i think on both wings now and he's played up front a little bit more as well he's so dynamic anywhere he is he's he's great on the dribble and he's got that ability that you have to respect where he's able to shoot from distance so you know sometimes that creates space for other attacking players alongside him because he can draw in a defender and he can play that pass through and then uh sometimes the goal falls for him as well and he does a backflip and it's it's really cool (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think this entire front four for pacific has been really clicking in especially the last three games and it's it's surprising that they 
you know, were able to to completely change the way they attack just to get more bodies in the box. But it's been working out very well for them, I think. Yeah, the player who's probably been working out best for is Alejandro Diaz, who now yeah. leads the Golden Boot race by um, three goals. Um, obviously, Pacias, who we talked about earlier, has played uh, less matches, but Diaz also scoring a hat trick in this one. Um, you know, what is it about Diaz that he continues to, you know, even on a club that has struggled to score goals at times, just simply score? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's that striker's instinct, right? I think that this is something that you see at many levels of the game in football is, you know, a player will score so many goals and then you'll look at a highlight reel of them and you'll be like, well, most of those aren't aren't that impressive. Like he just <laughs> found a loose ball and he, and he finished it. But when you do it that consistently, that's what makes a player good, right? That's what makes a, a true striker, a proper number nine, so effective is their ability to score for lack of a better term the easy goals by finding those spaces by evading defenders by finding exactly the pocket where you know there might be space for them to just score that easy finish and then to to actually finish that pretty much every time the ball comes to you is a skill as well so just to to make yourself available and trust your your wingers and your other striker that they are going to find you that they know where you're going to be and you know where they're going to play that pass where they like to to put their cutback or their cross or whatever, that is a massive skill. And it's something that Alejandro Diaz has. And it's, you know, part of the, the quality of, of his pedigree, obviously coming, coming from Mexico and playing in, in some, some very, very top games down there, coming from one of the top academies in in really all of the Americas in, in club America. So that's what makes him so special is his just intelligence to find those pockets and finish those one touch goals. Again, as we've mentioned a couple of times on this show, let's hear from the Pacific striker after the York United match. We had pretty tough games against York. Uh, we know York is a, it's a really good team and, and it's complicated to play against them. We needed th- uh, this win to build that confidence up. And yeah, because of we knew uh, those three games uh, we played before, we knew this one has to be, uh, had to be uh, for, our, for, for, for us. So yeah, pretty happy because of the result. Uh, everyone was working hard. Uh, we were supporting each other, so I think that's uh, that's a great sign for for the team, and super excited about that. And Pacific coach Jay Mer- James Merriman, speaking of happy, was was happy with his club's resilience in this match. Happy with the resiliency and to stay in it and and not lose ourselves or, or get too low, right? Conceding first minute of the match and then conceding straight away in the second half is not easy in terms of you know momentum and, and believing but but it didn't stop we kept we kept going we kept tanking so really happy with that and I told you we were going to score goals today we wanted to go forward and we wanted to attack um, you know our, our forwards Daniels uh, De Santos Diaz Josh coming on um, Bustos they're they're very very dangerous they, they're loving to attack freely right now and you know happy for Diaz and happy for G James did be... promise me that he was going to score goals uh, because I, I, I did. I saw him that morning because we were doing some some interviews at with Pacific ahead of that CONCACAF League game next week. Uh, mm-hmm. And James did promise me that they were going to go to York Lions Stadium and score some goals because they'd had two nil-nil draws in the league with York so far this year. So I'm glad that he did not let me down. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and that's a, that's a good plug because obviously we will have a bunch of stuff coming up on the website about... Uh, Pacific's CONCACAF league run and 
this is a good sign, I think. Obviously, as we said, the the defensive side of the game maybe needs some some shaping up for Pacific, but in competitions like this, being able to score your way out of trouble, especially in some some hostile and difficult environments, is going to be critical for Pacific. And um, having that confidence going into this competition for them is is big. Oh yeah, it's the perfect time for this to be to be clicking. Um, they're also going to get Manny Aparicio back after mm-hmm. after that York game, which was his last game of his suspension, which will be massive. But for them to start clicking, to start finding you know, their, their identity back, which to me has been largely that they play some of the most attractive and entertaining attacking football in the entire CPL. So for them to be back and, and entertaining and dynamic and, and just ruthless on the attack, especially with pace and, and all that, it's awesome. It's been a lot of fun to see this return from Pacific after that sort of down stretch. And it, as you mentioned, it's at a perfect time with them heading, I believe, down to Jamaica on, on Tuesday next week to play Waterhouse, which is going to be a very difficult game, but a massive one for that club who really has high ambitions of continuing to, to you know represent Canada on the international stage. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, like we said, uh, stay locked into campl.ca because we'll have a lot coming up on all of that in, in the next few weeks. Um, one final match to to get to that happened since the last show, and it feels like a long time ago because it was. It was last Thursday, Halifax taking on Cavalry um, at... That was Coast a long Field. time ago. Yeah, it was God. a long time ago at this point. Um, th- this match seemed to go how every Halifax trip to, you know, Calgary has gone this year, where Halifax were actually probably the better side in the opening half. Sam Salter had a very good chance to open the scoring in in the early part of the game and and couldn't do it. And then they suffer a red card. Uh, Jeremy Gagnon Lapare uh, getting sent off and and that really opened things up for Cavalry. Not immediately. They needed to make a double sub at halftime. Actually, bringing on Elijah Adekubi and Ben Fisk because they really weren't actually controlling the midfield very well, even without uh, Gagnon Lapare in there. But they're able to. You know, in the space of eight minutes, score three times. Ali Musi, um, an excellent match. And another interesting one in this game, because we always talk about the depth of Cavalry. All three of their goals set up by defenders. Uh, both fullbacks getting in um, and in on the action. And uh, Karifa Yao as well, a brilliant ball through the middle. So um, they can hurt you in, in a million different ways. And they definitely showed that uh, the second that Cavalry went uh, down a man in this one. Yeah, that fullback play from Cavalry is is pretty crazy to me, especially considering how Bradley Vliet and Roberto Alarcon are not the starting fullbacks that Tommy Wilden Jr. expected to have at the start of the year, right? Yeah. But they've had so many injuries in those spots. Obviously, Tom Field went down at the start of the year. Frazier Aird suffered that injury about a month into the season. Uh, but they've been able to incorporate these new players so quickly mid-season. Alarcon just got here. And he's already been playing so well in that fullback role for Cavalry, who are a team that need attacking fullbacks, right? With with the way that they want to play, especially some of the the directness they want to play with. So that's been massive for them and been so impressive. And again, this game just shows how ruthless they can be if you just give them give them an inch, and they'll they'll take that mile. Because as you mentioned, Halifax did a lot of things right in this game. They they clogged up the midfield the way that they're so good at doing, especially in the first half for the most part. But again, it's it's just a, a tough break, a very tough break for Halifax with Gagnon Lapare getting sent off. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't I don't have a, a lot to say on, on the, the call itself. I do know that, that it sounds like Halifax are appealing 
the call. So they'll, they'll possibly get Jeremy back rather than losing him for the three matches that I think that red card would automatically automatically give him. And that would be big for them because he's been such an important piece of their midfield this season. Um, but again, Cavalry just able to adapt. They're able to to take their chances. The contrast, I guess, between this game and the York game is that Cavalry take their chances in this game. They they mm-hmm. find those those more transitional moments. Obviously, Halifax giving them maybe more of those transitional moments because they're not actually quite sitting back as much as York were. So that allows Cavalry to to be able to play those through balls, for example, into Ali Moussi or, or to whip in those crosses behind the back line. I, I don't think it would be really possible to get behind York's back line in that game on Tuesday night. But in this game, uh, Cavalry are able to find ways in behind there and They've got a little bit more pace to be able to get on those balls, and that's that's where they can really kill you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing about this Calvary FC side is, you know, they're just so they, they have such a strong structure within the club that you know these guys mm-hmm. like Adalarcon and and Vliet can come in and just immediately fit into the system and, and don't look out of place at all. And obviously, both yeah. of those players have proven to be incredibly talented, and I think are are going to quickly become pretty household names within the Canadian Premier League considering what they've shown so far but at the same time um, usually it takes a a bit longer for players who are coming into a side to fit the system and look as comfortable as they did but they look like they've been playing for for the side for you know months or or not longer and it's been a couple matches for honestly both of them yeah yeah and that's that's exactly the thing and this is something that that Cavalry do very well and Forge do very well in the CPL is they're able to bring players in and and have them hit the ground running like that very quickly because there's such a set identity in the way that they play, the way that they train. And it's a lot, it's very easy to, or well, it's certainly not easy, but it's smoother for a player to come into training and get acquainted. Okay, this is going to be my role in this game. This is what I have to do. You can ease in a little bit with with fewer responsibilities and eventually take on more for yourself as a player. Uh, But having having so much of this of this set identity having so many players i think still in the squad that have been there for at least a, a couple of years that know how things work at this club that that know that identity very well uh, that helps and then just having all that quality around you on the on, a, on the pitch it it helps your own quality kind of come out if you're a player like Bradley Vliet or or Roberto Alarcon who again just ha- have been so impressive with their confidence to to take on those roles to whip in those those dangerous crosses and get their names on the score sheet so quickly yeah absolutely and from a halifax point of thing um it seems to be a heat wave going across canada right now i'm no meteorologist but that was another super hot one yeah that's fair the whole world at this point but that was a another hot one um out in calgary and that made it less than ideal that uh that halifax had uh, only 10 men on the yeah. on the day um let's hear from peter shallow about uh, how difficult that was for them we go we go down a man in this heat obviously now you're missing a man you have to run more so on a day like this it's it's really really hard to to make up um we took uh, the draw into the halftime which was positive and then we tried to regroup um and yeah just try to to keep a clean sheet try to defend as much as we can and, and maybe take our opportunities if we get a few uh unfortunately went the other way so nothing we can change about it now yeah and even you know despite that uh despite being a, a man up and um having most of the ball calvary actually struggled a little bit to, to really take a foothold in this match but um you know a, a shift at halftime and and uh, 
you know, bringing on, like I said, Fisk and Elijah Adekubi, um kind of changed things for them. So let's hear from Tommy Wilden Jr. about uh, what the, what their side did. I didn't like our shape in the first half, even before the sending off. I, I wasn't happy with it. Um, I thought we were off balance in our build out, couldn't create an overload. Um, and even we didn't really respond when we had it. It was too chaotic. So I thought Elijah's really, you know, desperate to be on the ball and get more playing time. Joe Carroll was on a yellow, so we wanted to protect because we could see they were going after him. Um, and Ben Fisk is very intelligent. And, and what that then ended up doing is we played more of a controlled performance and allowed us then to slip balls through to Ali, to Sergio, to our fullbacks, just give us better balance. So it was a, a tactical change. Well, there you go. I mean, again, <laughs> um, you don't get to the the unbeaten run that they had without being able to to shift things very quickly within matches, and um, cavalry showing that uh, showing that very well um, once again. Um, and let's shift things within this show. Let's bring on Benedict Rhodes, um, who is in action tonight um, in terms of covering <laughs> Atletico Ottawa versus Valor FC and has honestly been in action um, throughout the past couple of weeks very heavily as he's been working on the Canadian women's national team beat for us as well. So we'll, we'll talk about both of those things with Benny, but let's start with Valor Ottawa. This is a pretty big match, especially I think for a Valor side who are trying to, to keep pace with that front four that's starting to pull away a little bit. Um, and they have a, they have an opportunity here to, you know, have, have some direct, uh, direct damage on a team in front of them. Yeah. Had, had Forge not won last night, Valor would have had a chance to jump into that top four today. Uh, they, they won't now, of course, but, uh, they're, they're not four points back, but this is, this is a huge game for Valor. He said, uh, they, they have a couple of games in hand on, on the teams above them and, uh, if they can, if they can win this game, they definitely put themselves in that conversation. And and let's not forget as well, but what Ottawa can do if they win this game, they'll jump into top spot, jump over Calvary after after Calvary's loss uh, last night. Yeah. Before we before we get to Ottawa, I just want to want to talk about Valor a little bit here because there's something that I'm concerned about with them, especially for this game against Ottawa. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show that William Akio is is gone. He's at Ross County. He's been a huge part of that front four they've attacked with. Alessandro Rigi's also suspended for this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's two of their regular starting front four. Uh, ben, I, you've watched some Valor this year. Uh, how do they, how big of a loss is this? How do they maybe cope with this, with this, these losses, especially against the Ottawa side that's so difficult to score against? Yeah, like, and I know Phil DeSantos doesn't like mentioning the, the 6-1 game, um, so I'll try to not do it too much, but uh, it would be it'd be hard not to mention, you know, William McKeo's influence in that game. Like, he was he was everywhere. He was the best player on the pitch, even though he don't think he had a goal or assist in that game, but he was running the show, and, and as he's done several times for Valor, I mean, he was capable of doing some great things, so that's definitely a big hole to fill. Um, you said Rigi as well would probably, probably be one of the natural replacements uh, or one of the natural players to fill in the lineup somewhere, and uh, yeah, he's also won't be available for this match, so it'll definitely be interesting to see who they bring in. I know Phil DeSantos is high on, on some international players that he's, he's brought in recently. They're starting to get fit and integrated into the squad, so uh, it'll be interesting to see who, who he brings into this game. Yeah, Daniel Escanio was really good in that uh, that yeah, last game absolutely. Uh, against Halifax. He was uh, awesome. Uh, Kevin Rendon is a kind of a more creative midfielder, which is something that they don't necessarily have at Valor, so maybe this is an opportunity to try something different with the, the way that you play, the way that you attack, maybe get a little bit more creativity from midfield. But sorry, Mitchell, I cut you off there. <laughs> no, all good. Um, well, speaking of just just getting healthier, obviously, I don't think it's any coincidence that 
three on the trot comes with Andrew Jean-Baptiste making his return. Um, how big has he been for, for Valor? Yeah, like we, we saw the start of last season, he's an MVP player through those first seven games, I believe it was, before he went down with it with his injury and uh, they, they really missed him. And, and now that he's back and he's available again, you know, we're starting to see he's just a steady presence. He's, he's the captain. He's, he's an important leader on and off the pitch as well for that team. And, uh, you know, in the air, he, he wins almost everything. Every every corner is aimed at his head. Uh, every defensive corner, he's he's the one trying to, to clear out of there. So uh, he, he's absolutely crucial for them on, on set pieces and, and from open play. And, and uh, yeah, definitely returning to the lineup was a huge, huge boost for Phil DeSantos. I think I keep forgetting that Valor's on a three-game winning streak because <laughs> it's been so long since they've played. Uh, but the same is true of Atletico Ottawa, who I think have, are actually one more day off since their last game. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how how to to judge this kind of this time off. Um, you know, obviously, I think if you're on a, a hot streak like Valor, you kind of prefer to to stay in a rhythm and keep going. Uh, but Benedict, I don't know. Who do you think this? Uh, this layoff or this extra extra rest time extra training time benefits more in this game yeah that's an interesting one i think you said i think valor will have wanted to to stay in that hot streak ottawa did play a few games in a row back then they played against halifax forge and and calvary within 10 days i think so uh, i think they'll they'll be happier with some time off to kind of you know get off their feet a little bit but uh so i think i do think this actually favors them more than favors valor i agree with uh with benny on that i think uh you know, there's there's different clubs that have different opinions on it. You know, Bobby Smirniotis was Bobby even, hates it. even yeah, even last night, Bobby was just grumbling. Even after winning five <laughs> one, he was just grumbling about how many days they had off in between matches. Um, Carlos Gonzalez has actually been a, a manager who said sometimes that he really likes uh, having this. And I mean, for one of those things, Ottawa's been able to stay pretty healthy this season. Um, and I think they, they've done that by using these breaks very, very well, as well as you know, I think just brilliant game management throughout the season, but they really like to to use these breaks to to really focus on opponents. So I do think that that Benny's right, and that uh, this does benefit Ottawa more than more than Valor. Um, what about this game from an Ottawa perspective? Obviously, uh, you know, um, a bit of revenge on their minds. Maybe we we. <laughs> Again, this is probably the most brought up result in in the uh, CPL this season for for good reason, but also the one that everyone's very quickly quick to discount. But um, as you know, not an indication fully of either side. But again, it's still got to be in Ottawa's mind. Yeah, of, of course it is. But I think uh, you know Phil and Carlos both have said you know they're trying to put that game behind them. Like Phil said, it feels like it was last year. Even like he's just completely putting it in the review window and. Um, Another interesting thing to know, right, is, is uh, the two teams that played each other, the away team has won both times. So I think that'll be something to, to watch as well in this game if, if Valor can, you know, kind of use that um, and, and you know, try and try and see what worked well for them in that match. Obviously, Willie McKeel worked well for them in that match. He's no longer available. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, definitely Valor will be, will be coming into this one, hoping to get another win on the road. Charlie, considering the the styles they both play, is it any surprise that the away team has has won both matches in in this series? Yeah, I guess it's not surprising. It's a, it's a good point because Ottawa are, are so well well equipped to go on the road and defend very well, especially when they do it in that. Sometimes they do it in that back five, and it's very effective. Uh, and Valor, with just how well they can hit you in transition and counterattack you, maybe you know, maybe. 
they can't as much without William Mikio or, or Alessandro Rigi. That's, I guess, something that, as we've mentioned, we're going to have to find out uh, starting tonight. Um, but I, Ottawa is, is still, in, in my mind, the better of these two teams, especially at the moment, uh, even though Valor have played quite well recently. Um, I, I think that Ottawa will be, will be, again, very hungry to be back at home and, and to, again, you know, avenge that loss, as, as you guys mentioned, uh, and, you know, go back into that tie with Calvary at the top of the table. When they see a team they're chasing like Calvary drop points, as they did to York, uh, the best teams are the ones that capitalize on that and put themselves right back level, right? So when, when you're, when your your rival blinks, you you have to strike at that exact moment, and this is kind of the perfect spot for Ottawa to do so uh, before they have to obviously go to York on Sunday and play another tough game against a team that that has been difficult for them to break down as well. Yeah, busy busy week uh, in the Canadian Premier League. Busy busy weekend. We'll we'll get to that shortly. That match, of course, going tonight at seven p.m. Um, at uh, TD Place Stadium. That is the of course the delayed game, um, which factors into this as well a little bit in terms of you know at least they neither side was sure if they were going to play over the weekend now it's being played midweek the preparations differ for that so um worth factoring in as well but benedict obviously you've been on the canadian women's national team beat for the past uh week or two as well as they played in the concacaf w championship they qualified for the world cup um, were fell just short of qualifying for the Olympics. Obviously, they still have an opportunity to do that. But uh, as a whole, what do you make of of this? You know, first big outing, let's call it, following uh, Olympic gold. Yeah, I think I think for the most part, it was kind of on expectation. I think you know, qualifying for the World Cup was was a must. Like I think if you if they didn't do that, it would have been you know an, an abject failure. Um, <laughs> but they did, uh, of course. They they, they did. Uh, then you know beating Jamaica in the semifinal was obviously uh, as well uh, an expectation, um, and then they knew the United States were going to be the toughest game of this tournament, and and that's exactly what they were. The United States were, were you know one of the only teams that are were the only team that really attacked them. I think for the, the first four games of the tournament, it was all Canada running the show and and Canada on the front foot for all, all four matches, and and then the United States were the ones on the front foot on in the final on Monday, and and it took a penalty to beat them, uh, as it took. A penalty to beat the United States in the semifinal of the Olympics last year. Um, so uh, these, these teams are very evenly matched, and I think we're starting to see Canada start to uh, you know realize they can play at the level of the United States. But again, they just felt they fell just short this time. Yeah, I'm I'm still not 100% convinced that Canada can quite match that level of the United States. I think that there's still a there's the, the, the U.S. are still just that little step ahead of Canada. I think that Canada just didn't do enough to win that game. In that final, I know that I know that they lost on that penalty, and it's a it's a bit of a, a controversial call. But uh, I think that the U.S. were objectively the better team for yeah. for very large parts of that game. Um, as as you mentioned, though, from this tournament, Benedict, it's you know objective number one is complete qualifying for for the World Cup. I would still say that it's it is an abject failure if they don't qualify for the Olympics as well. Agreed. So you got to beat you got to beat Jamaica in in that playoff, which it sounds like it's in next September, not this yeah. September. Which is kind of a strange one. I honestly thought that it was like this week, right <laughs> after the it's tournament. Like the week after the World Cup as well. <laughs> yeah, so that's very bizarre. But you have to win that game, like unquestionably, uh, or or two yeah. games. I don't know how that format works yet. Um, but 
you know, I, again, Benedict, just from from watching this tournament so closely, what players from from this Canadian team have stood out to you most, especially maybe some of the younger ones who are starting to break into this side more? Yeah, I think the obvious one is Julia Grosso. I think we didn't really expect her to, to win the Golden Boot. I don't think, but she had uh, you know three goals <laughs> and an assist in this tournament, and and uh, she was immense. She she only started one of the matches, I believe, which is uh, maybe a little bit disappointing as well. I think we we yeah. spoke on this podcast before how we wanted to see you know. Her start with, with Quinn and, and Fleming in midfield. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see her not start either of the last two games or, or the final group game. Um, but, you know, she, she played a huge part to play. And and I found a stat here courtesy of uh, about a different player, uh, X, at XG is for nerds on Twitter. Uh, we do like nice. our nerdy stats on this show. <laughs> um, yeah, so shout out to them. And, and there was a stat here that says Janine Becky created 33 chances in this tournament across five matches, which is like over three wow. times the next closest person, which is like six and a half per game. So like she was, she was immense in this tournament as well. Only had two assists to show for it. Uh, I think she had a goal as well in the, in the first game, and uh, the stats weren't necessarily there, but everything was going through Janine Becky in this tournament, and and uh, no, she was she was immense on that right wing. That will be the last time anyone does any math on this show while I'm in charge of it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but that's enough of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not, Benedict. Um, but yeah, I guess be- before we wrap up, like that is such a bizarre like formatting thing for Canada that now they have to wait a couple yeah. years to find out yeah. uh, if, if they're going to the Olympics and, you know, obviously they will be fresh off lifting a world cup trophy and have to play in this, obviously, uh, yeah. in this uh, <laughs> match against Jamaica. But um, what are your thoughts on that decision to, you know, have this Olympic qualifying tournament so early and then have the playoff like so far later? Yeah, I, I like the idea of the CONCACAF W Championship. I think that's a great tournament, and I like how it qualifies for the World Cup. But what I don't understand is why it's second versus third place to qualify for the Olympics when you have the top two teams playing in the final. Like that to me doesn't make sense. That's how it's worked in, in previous cycles, and and I don't I don't personally understand that decision, especially if you're making them wait a year and a half. Like if it, if it was this week, as Charlie said, or or maybe in a month, maybe even I, I think second versus third is an interesting prospect, but. To have the second versus third a year, way more than a year from now, it doesn't make sense. I don't hate the idea of having more opportunities for the CONCACAF teams that aren't Canada and the US to mm-hmm. to get to major tournaments and, and give those those opportunities. Uh, Mitchell is just gone. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear about it at all. He hates this idea. Uh, but I think one of the factors here is that, in theory, I, I think that they would have expected it to be Mexico in that third place spot, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of yeah. probably one of the biggest stories of this W championship is how disappointing Mexico were in, in not even getting out of their group. And, and especially after so much improvement that they've made over the last couple of years for them to, to really struggle in this tournament and not be that third place team, you know, all the credit in the world to Jamaica who were very good, but uh, for it not to be Mexico, I think is not something that CONCACAF expected. And I think that might've been one of the things that they considered when making this, this new format is to give, you know, again, these other teams that aren't Canada and the U.S., just that little bit of an extra chance of getting to a major tournament like the Olympics. I guess there, there's already World Cup qualification, but that the Olympics as well, that they've been out of for ever, really. Um, but again, I, I think I, I think I'm with you. It's a weird format. It's a long time to wait. Uh, who knows really what this Canadian team looks like uh, next September? I think there could be quite a lot of things different with it, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, that's that's the format, and that's what you got to do. 
Yeah, welcome back, I, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, apparently I disliked that format so much that I just left the show, got thought. angry. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But something that never makes me angry is looking at the, the Canadian Premier League standing. So let's do that right now. And um, I mean, again, a, a bit of gaps opening up here. Like we said, that top four really forming. Valor kind of in the middle right now. And then you've got your bottom three. Uh, Charlie, I guess just your thoughts on, on where things stand at the moment. I just love this picture of the cavalry coaching staff. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Nick Ledgerwood and Leon Hopgood just hanging out with uh with Tommy. Um anyway, yeah, it's uh it's fun. We're we're seeing you know a little bit more separation between the top four and bottom four than I think we've seen in some recent weeks. Uh so that's interesting. It's obviously I guess on Valor mostly, maybe a little bit to a lesser extent, Halifax to see if they can close that gap. They've They'll probably have games against those top four coming up. And those are games where you have to get points and you have to take points off the teams that you're chasing. Uh, but, but again, we're, we're seeing that maybe that maybe top four starting to become a little bit more congested because forge uh, forge aren't actually that far off cavalry. When you look <laughs> at the games that they have in hand as well. Yeah. And let's uh, let's shift to the schedule then. And um, after a weekend off for all eight or after a weekend off completely, all eight teams are back in action this weekend. Um, starting off strong, we got a great match on Friday night, uh, Pacific oh, yeah. against Cag- Cavalry at 10 p.m. Starlight Stadium. You know, as, as we mentioned, both those clubs coming into this match pretty hot. So um, then you got your Saturday doubleheader. You got Forge against Valor, um, as well as Halifax hosting FC Edmonton, and then finishing up on Sunday with York United against Atletico Ottawa. Um, just a reminder, of course, our CPL predictor is up again this week. You can win $100 per week, plus random draws to win other great prizes for those who play. Um, the grand prize, of course, a trip for two to the CPL final. Boys, let's get some predictions. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, York Atletico Ottawa will end in a draw. Um, that's uh, <laughs> There's mine out of the way. Um, Charlie, I'm going to put you on the hard one. Um, oh, no. Yeah, Calvary Pacific, what you got there. Oh, okay. Well, last time these guys played, it was it was a three-all draw, mm-hmm. right? I'm I'm not wrong with that. Yeah, that was no. that was a, a pretty intense game. I think that was the one with with red cards on both sides. Um, yeah, and I think Manny Aparicio is back for this game after getting suspended from the last meeting between these two. I'm gonna go three-two Pacific. Ooh, I like it. And Benny, let's go uh, Forge Valor. That's that. It's another interesting one. Obviously, one nil. Um, the last time they played at Tim Hortons Field for Valor. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. You know, there's a there's a potential playoff implications in the line. If if Valor can win, they'll be one point back of Forge, and you know, I think Forge has scored enough goals recently. I think Valor are gonna maybe take this one. I'll, I'll say one nil Valor on the road. Wow, especially even wow. coming in after a Wednesday really? trip to Ottawa, that is a that is a bold prediction from Benedict Rhodes. But uh, we'll take it. Obviously, all of those games, as always, are available to watch on One Soccer, but. That brings us to the end of our show this week. Um, our team and player of the week should be out tomorrow. So keep an eye for all that and make sure to head over to canpl.ca as always for all of your coverage of this weekend's matches and for today's match with Mr. Benedict Rhodes. He'll be covering that for you. So behalf on or on behalf of Charlie O'Connor Clark and the rest of the newsroom team, I'm Mitchell Tierney. Enjoy your soccer folks. Players by the spot break. Becker! Is that an Olympico? 
Casillas. The supporter sends the hat trick is on a touch. Rubens! Hat trick again in the Canadian Premier League. Felt like destiny.